So today we're going to learn the fascinating, fascinating sicha from the Rebbe. It's a, it's a well-known sicha because once you learn it once, this one guarantee you'll always remember it. This is the famous sicha where the Rebbe in, it brings, brings down the sources and the ideas of the difference of the style of menorahs that we find. This is a sicha that was published in 1983 for Parsha Truma, and it's printed as the third sicha for Parsha Truma in volume 21 of Lakuti Sichas. It's a collection of talks that the Rebbe gave over three different occasions. One is Amparsha Matos Masse in the summertime. One was Amparsha Dvarim. And one was on the first of the month of Elul in 1982. So the Rebbe clearly delved into the subject very heavily. And we're going to learn this idea. But the whole Sicha is based on a original um, piece of art, if you want to call it, a diagram that the Rambam depicted and wrote and made during his time, but it was found only in our generation in Cairo somewhere. They found this original writings of what the Rambam wrote. Now we have his writings, but this is actually an image picture and there's two details about this menorah that the Rebbe is going to focus on. Obviously, there's many details about the menorah. For that, you could learn in today's Parsha, this week's Parsha Truma. But in this picture, you get to see two main fundamental things. Number one that he's going to discuss is if you see on each one of the branches of the menorah, the menorah, the way it was in the temple, had a center column. And it had three on each side, a total of seven branches. On each branch, there's three uh, looking like cups, like uh, shaped of a cone, which the wider side of the cup is to the bottom, and the narrow side is on the top. So he's going to discuss about these cups. So you have three at each column brings you to 21, plus in the center column on the bottom, there's also one of these cone-shaped cones or cups. And so that brings you to 22 cups. Now, the second thing he's going to talk about is the shape of the menorah that each branch is straight on a diagonal, but a diagonal straight line, not round arms which is different to many menorah pictures that you're used to seeing all over the place. So the Rebbe will analyze this with sources and some fascinating insights that fills in the significance of these cups being in this position and about the arms of the menorah. Now, let's get to the body of the Sicha. Regarding the image of the cups that were on the menorah called the Givim. That's what the Torah uses the words, the Givim, in plural. Givia is one, and Givim is plural. Our sages in the Talmud tell us the following. What are these cups that the Torah calls them, these cups, what are they comparable to? So it says they are like the kind of cups that was used in Alexandria. The Alexandrian kind of cups were... As the Rambam explains in his commentary on the Mishnah, and he says that it means, what does it mean like the cups of the Alexandrian kind of cups? What it means is that the bottom of the cup is narrow. That's what kind of cup it is, not the cups that you're used to seeing, where it's a flat bottom, but you find it to be very narrow on the bottom. And the Rambam actually in his book of laws, he actually rules in the definition when he describes the details of how the menorah looked. So over there, the Rambam said, writes, in the laws of the temple called Besa, the laws of Besa, here he has a whole section of the laws of the temple. And over there, in chapter 3, where he talks about the menorah, he says that there was cups, and the cups that were on the menorah were like 
the cups of the Alexandrian kind of cups, that the mouth of the cup is wide and the base of the cup is narrow. Well, if this is the case, the Rebbe poses a wondrous question. We have images of the Rambam that the Rambam made with his own holy handwriting. And over there, where he depicts the picture of the cups, he makes all these cups upside down. The wide side of the cup is on the bottom and the narrow side is on the top. That means that the image that he made is of an upside down Alexandrian cup. Now, even though the Rambam himself makes it clear in his commentary on the Mishnayis that with his image, he's only giving you the general idea of what the menorah looked out looked like. In other words, to be able to understand and be educated how many cups they were, where they were on the branches, but not the exact details, 100% is not precise. I don't know if it was, maybe he didn't consider himself a good artist or whatever the reason, but he's telling you with this image, you're getting the general idea of the structure of it. Therefore, when he makes the cups, he makes the cups in a way where he makes each cup, he makes three cups on each one. Even though the cups of the Alexandrian kinds of cups were not exactly a triple cups, because it's understood from the simple meaning that it says that they, the cups had narrow on the bottom. So obviously they weren't 100% narrow to a point, like, like let's say an ice cream cone. It wouldn't be exactly to a cone. Obviously it had a little bit of a flat a little bit. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to stand it. But the idea is, that what I'm saying is, I'm making you a general picture that the bottom was narrow and it widened. That's the part that he's trying to give us to understand. In his picture, this point that one side of the cup is narrow and the other one is wide. But that would not explain to us, just because he's not so precise in his art, of why would he make that the, the narrow side of the cup would be on the top and the wide side of the cup would be to the bottom. As we say in Yiddish, mitin kapar up, with the head downwards. Why would he put the head, the opening of the cup, downwards? Especially, as we know, that the Rambam is an unbelievable daikon, which means he's an unbelievable precise teacher. Every single detail was so precise. It would make no sense at all that the Rambam should make a picture with the cup of the the opening of the cup upside down and by every single cup 22 times he would do that and that wouldn't be precise. That wouldn't make sense. So the fact that he did this 22 times designing the cup exactly like that that the narrow side is to the top and the wide side is to the bottom. What's the logic of this? There must be that there's a reason here. Therefore, we conclude that we must say in, a, in the simple understanding that the Ramba made this image of these cups in precisely in this way. Because according to his opinion, it was so in the menorah. And either because he had it, a Kabbalah, meaning a passed down information that he received from teacher to teacher, generation to generation, that so it is. Or that he found some kind of, you know, rabbinical source that we don't have that source. That meaning he, he based it on somewhere. Like we find many places in the Rambam. Things that we found later is the source in a Medrash or other places that sometimes we don't know the source to it. But we know that he, he based his, his points on the sources that he knew. And he doesn't bring down necessarily in his book of Rambam's, called the Sefer Hayad, the 14 books of law, he doesn't always bring, does not bring down the sources to, to these places where he gets it from. Just like he doesn't bring either in the images that he makes. In his Mishnayis, he makes a lot of times certain pictures of courtyards or other stuff. He makes, you know, things to help you to understand with an image. So we could say, for a number of reasons. Number one, to begin with, 
these images was not his main function to make you diagrams and images and stuff in his book of halacha. In the Rambam's halachic book, he didn't write so many and make a lot of images, only in his book on the Mishnayis and other places where he explains things. Number two, as we know, it's well known how careful the Rambam was to be as short as possible in his halachic book, that he does not elaborate in things, he just says things the way they are, this is the rule. Number three, many of his details, according to his opinion, sometimes, many times the details don't matter to the fact that it will disturb the whole halachic point. In other words, even though in some cases the detail doesn't matter. In other words, it doesn't change the law if a detail wasn't you know, per- perfect. And in those cases, he doesn't get into those details. If he feels that that detail is not relevant to something, that doesn't matter. And the Rebbe says we could lengthen a lot and talk about this a lot more, but this is not the place for this. But what we, let's recap. What's the part that we want to try to understand? Is it's true that in details here, this image of the Rambam's Menorah is not so important to delve into the details like he says himself, but at least in the general image of the picture, you see that he designs these cups upside down. Why does he make the cups? That has to be a sure reason. That's not just a little detail. 22 times to make these cups upside down? It's got to be a reason. So what's the reason? Especially that we find in the in the boards of how they made the Mishkan. You all know that the tabernacle, besides the structure of the props in the tabernacle, in the traveling temple, there was also the walls that were made of boards. Right? They were made from this acacia wood. Now there's a law that the boards, what direction do they have to stand? And the law is that the way it grew from the ground, that's the way it has to stand. So how do you stand these boards' walls? Don't make them upside down. You have to make them the way they grew. Later on in the Sikha, you're going to see, he's going to bring also other halachas. For example, a lulav, you have to hold a lulav the way it grows on the tree. So it has to be upwards. And you can't hold a lulav upside down. It's not kosher to do that. Right? So you see that many mitzvahs you do in the way they grew. That's the way you do the mitzvah. Meaning, the bottom is the bottom and the top has to be the top. So from here we learn a general rule that all mitzvahs has to be the way they grew. If so, why are these cups upside down? Says the Rebbe, a fascinating thing. He says, we could learn and understand why the cups of the menorah were upside down based on the whole idea of what the menorah is really all about. Let's understand. A lot of times the Rebbe taught us to do this. If you want to understand something, step back, look at the whole picture, and then you can understand things. It's an amazing way how to learn. So let's understand the whole general idea of the menorah, and then we'll understand why these cups are upside down and 22 of them. Regarding the menorah and the light of the menorah, the sages teach us in the Talmud Menachas, it says, Hashem did not need to have a menorah, a candelabra in the temple in order to have light in the temple. That's not why we did it. The menorah in the temple was there to send a light to the world that the divine presence of God rests by Israel. That's why we had a menorah. To light up, the, light up the temple wasn't for the physical light. It was a testimony that God's presence is there. As it says clearly, I don't need the light, the physical light of it. It was the light of the menorah was there to shine a light to the entire world. And for this reason, there's an actual architectural difference in the way things were done and built in the temple. It says that in the visions that King Solomon had when he built the temple, so it says that you should build the walls of the temple had windows, 
but the windows should be built shkufim atumim, which means they were wide in the outside of the wall and narrow in the inside of the wall. What does that mean? Normally, if you want to maximize the amount of light that you, you would get into your house, so let's just say you have a one foot thick exterior wall, you would want to make that the outside, whatever measurement the outside of your window is, you want to make it the wall go wider as it comes into your house. So if the sun is shining outside, it should spread the light as much as possible into your indoors. That's the normal way to make a window. Especially in the old days, right? That the, the walls were very thick. But in the temple, they, we were commanded to make the walls, the menorah, the window openings, exactly the opposite. Inside of the interior of the built structure, the, the, it was narrow, and outside it went wider. Why? Because that's the point of the temple. It was to take the light that was in the temple and spread it to the whole world. The temple itself didn't need this light from the menorah. The light was to spread to the whole world. Now that we understand this, that the whole point of the menorah is to be a testimony out to the world, now we understand why even physically this, it even affected that the shape of the window openings of the temple walls were made like this so that the light could go out to the whole world. Now we can understand about the Givim, the cups of the menorah. There's a well-known commentary in the Chumash called the Bechaye. We heard about the Bechaye a couple times. A very, very well-known uh, you know, Torah scholar. And the Bechayai, he lived in uh, around the years, um, the late 1200s, and from 1255 to about 1340. And he was a student of the Rajma, and he eventually made Aliyah to Israel, and he, he was buried over there. And this is a famous Bechayai. So he has a fam- interesting uh, insight here. He says that the cups on the menorah, hints to something. It's a remez. It's alluding to something. What's the whole thing of a cup? A cup is where you receive, you could hold something in it. That's the whole idea of a cup. You take a cup, you fill it up, and then you could drink down, and you could quench your thirst. That's the whole point of the cup. So he says that these cups of the Menorah were there to receive spiritual lights that are above the world in these zodiacs. And where do these great, mystical, godly, heavenly lights, how could it come down into this world? So where would they go? They would go into a cup, and from the cup it could be poured out to the rest of the world. That's what the Bechaya says, that that's why we had cups on the menorah. So Hashem is telling us, make these cups because this is alluding to the idea of receiving the spiritual lights that are out there, bring them down, it goes down into the cups, and from the cup it can get poured out. Meaning that the whole point of the cup is to collect it and to pour it out. Now, this is the main function of a cup. A, the main function of a cup is not to hold the drink. The main function of a cup is to use it to drink or for a person to have benefit from what the cup is holding. Right? You, what's the point? To fill up a cup of wine and not drink it? That's not the point. The point of the cup is to fill it up so that I can have a cup to fill it. When you want to say that something is there to hold whatever you're putting in. That's a barrel. A barrel is meant to hold it. Or a jug, right? But a cup, by definition, is not meant just to hold it and store it. A cup means you 
take, put something in the cup in order to turn the cup over. So in other words, the cup is the middle it's the middle uh, um, item that will help you to get what you need to have in order to quench the thirst of the person that needs to drink it. Comes out that this idea what the Bechaya is teaching us, that there's a spiritual light that has to come down and hence this idea of these cups is there to teach us something. That it's, the Menorah was not there to be able to get light. It didn't, we didn't need that. It was only the Menorah was there to take this light and share it to the rest of the world to be a testimony that God's Shekhinah, His divine presence is, there, is, is amongst Israel. So that's the whole function of the Menorah. Not in that I need it for some. No, I don't need this Menorah, Hashem says. I don't need the light. It's not the light that I need. It's in order to oh, spread out the light to the whole world. Now we understand... Now we could relate this to our question that we asked in the beginning. Why did we have such kind of cups that the bottom of the cup, one side of the cup, had a narrow side? And one side was wide. And you have to understand how the cup works. There's a time when the cup needs to be standing right so the wide side is on the top. That's while you're filling up whatever you're putting into the cup. That's when the opening and the wide part's going to be on the top. Because that's when it has to contain within it. It has to hold within it whatever you're going to put in there. But since the cups of the Menorah is to hint that the whole point is the pouring of this liquid, this whatever it's going inside it, to pour it out to quench the thirst. So here we're talking about a whole different story cup. We don't want this cup to be standing straight with the opening to the top. Then what's the point of that? What's the point of putting this something into this cup? The whole goal of these cups of the Menorah is to teach you the theme of the Menorah, which is upside down. Pour it out. Share it. Make it available. So since the point of the light of the Menorah is to light up the whole world, which is what? Which is a lower level of spirituality than the temple. That's the whole thing. The temple is the holiest place. So the world is a lower place. So we need to be able to bring this light into the whole world, into these lower places. Therefore, the position of these cups of the Menorah specifically would be that the wide part would be to the bottom. Just like the windows of the temple, that the wide side was to the outside. Same thing, is to spread this light. What does this have to do with us? Why, what's relevant to the day-to-day service of a person to know about this? Because this is a hint in our level of learning. That when we learn, we have to learn a lesson from this. From these cups. That the wide side of the cup the wide side of your blessings that's filled has to be upside down, meaning has to be poured out to everybody around. Because that's the whole point of the Menorah, is to be able to share it and quench the thirst. So you have to quench the thirst for all those around. When it comes to having an effect on another Jew, or even more broadly speaking, when it's talking about having an effect on the entire world to make a dwelling place for the divine presence of Hashem, this has to be done with the most widest and broadest fashion possible, meaning with, out, without limitations. It should be so wide, there's no boundary to this task of helping another person and helping the entire goal of the whole world. So in order to do that, you have to undertake with the greatest levels of strength to take whatever is in, is in you in this cup and pour it out to everybody. And now if this is talking about every individual alone, that from the beginning or as sooner or later, your whole service has to be in a way in the beginning. You start off serving Hashem with limitations. 
But then, which means that the opening is upwards on the top. But when it comes to helping, that's only for yourself. For yourself, you hold the cup upwards and the opening's on the top. But when it comes to helping another person, especially to helping the whole world, we must know that here we have to do it without limitations. When it comes to helping another person, you have to turn over your cup, turn over your wealth of spirituality and pour it out. And that's the amazing takeaway here. It's not about you. It's for you to be the wide part on top when, only when you're collecting what you need. But then when it comes to pour out, you turn over the whole thing. And that's why 22 times, every time it's on this, cup's on the there, it's going to be upside down. Now, the Ebbe says in a brackets that he already discussed, and it's printed in Lakuta Sichos, in volume 11, he discussed a similar idea to the same point regarding the three different kinds of donations that were given to build the temple. We had the donations of the bore of the, of the foundation, the sockets that held the pillars to hold the boards that went, that was the boundary wall around the Mishkan. We had the donations of the shekels, the shkalim, the coins. And then we had the donations for the Mishkan itself, for the tabernacle itself. So there was the, the sockets to hold the boards, the, the coins, and for the Mishkan itself, the tabernacle itself. When it came to the donations for the sockets, the foundation the sockets, and for the Shkalim, there's a rule that you had to give something very specific. There was a specific amount that you had, everybody had to donate. It had to do with a silver and a half a shekel. Everybody participated in a specific, let's call it a tax. You were taxed with a specific amount that everybody had to give. No more and no less. If you were richer, you couldn't give more. If you were poor, you couldn't give less. You had to give the specific amount. But when it came to the donations for the tabernacle in general, that included some substances that were used, were made from inanimate stuff. Things that sit on the ground, earth and other stuff. We also used things that grow. We used certain herbs to make colors or cottons and wools and so on. So those are things that grow. We also used in the domain of animal hides and fur that came from animals. We even had the category of the human being because it says every person was able to donate as much as your heart opened up to give. So why was it like this? When it came to the donation of for the sockets and for the coins, there there was a limited amount of money you were allowed to give. But when it came to the general parts of the temple, there everybody could give is asher yidvenu libay as much as your heart wants to give, you could donate. Why? And the reason is when it came to the specifics of those sockets and those shekels, it alluded to the service of a Jew, which is with limitations. It's called Avoida Misuderes. You, you serve Hashem in a calculated manner. You start your day off, you say Moda'ani, and then you go to the next level, and the next level, you, you serve Hashem with a pattern of consistency. You start from one place, and then you move up, and you move up, and that's how you serve Hashem. So when it came to the donations of those things that represented a service that a person has to Hashem that's calculated and it goes in a normal pattern. But when it came to the donation of the entire tabernacle in general, not specific for anything specific, over there we're talking about building the dwelling place for God. Adira, to build a home for Hashem. To make it a vishchanti v'saycha Hashem said, I'm going to come dwell in there. Over there, there was no limitations. So, why? Because this, the, the ultimate goal of the whole temple was something that included the purpose of the entire world, not just an individual's person of service. So he's making this comparison with the menorah, the cups upside down. 
that when it comes to something that's relevant to the global picture, there's no limitations. So the global picture needs the light from the temple. We're going to go all at it without limitations. We're going to turn every cup upside down. We're going to give whatever is necessary. So too, when it came to the donations, he's bringing the similarity. When it came to the parts of the temple that was something that was important to the global picture of success that we have Hashem's divine presence and there's now a purpose in the entire world, not just to you as an individual, there donations could be given without limitations. So you see this, these two ideas. And now back into this context here. We said that when it's hinted to the idea of all mitzvahs, why is this thing of the cup upside down relevant to all mitzvahs, not one specific thing? Because all mitzvahs have to be done, as I mentioned earlier, it has to be done in the way something grows. Like we said regarding a lulav and the species that goes with it, the willow branches, the myrtle branches, all of that has to be then and done and held in your hand in the same way. At the bottom is the bottom and the, the root and the top has to be upwards. That's the way it has to be. But when it comes to the Menaira, no. By the Menaira is the opposite of the way it grows. Not the normal way how you build a cup and how a cup's supposed to be, that the bottom is the is the narrow part and the wide part is the top. It's different. Why is it different when it comes to the Menaira? To these cups. Because every mitzvah, especially specifically a lulav and its species, those are compared to things that work in the realm of normality, in the realm of consistency. It's in the realm of nature. It's in the realm of going in an order of things. So you have to go in order. Normal order is, it grows like this, so you follow this pattern. Follow a pattern. And therefore, when you do the mitzvah, it should also be done, follow a pattern in the mitzvah. Therefore, the cups itself on its own also had to be like that. The bottom narrow and the top wide. But once the cups now get connected to the menorah, which the whole purpose of the menorah is to spread the light to the whole world. So now the whole purpose of the menorah is to quench the thirst of the whole world. To bring the desperate needed light of the temple of the Shekhinah to the whole world. To light up the world. So that means we now have to go and change the nature of what's out there. Change the natural course of things. So you have to go out of yourself. You have to become a no more limited, confined practice of person. And therefore, even the walls, the windows of the house of the temple is done in such a kind of way where the outside is the wider side. The cups have to be done also in such a way because when it comes to affecting the globalness of the world, there's no more time to do it in a regular orderly fashion. You'll never be able to affect the whole world. That's how you affect an individual. You want to affect the whole planet, the whole picture of the purpose of everything together. You can't work with a limitation anymore. And your service has to be to be able to give your strength in a way where the mouth is open wide without limitations. So this is part one, which explains us why the cups were upside down. Now let's go to the part two. There's another detail, but very bold and important of this picture of the Rambam's original writing that's different than all other menorahs that are commonly advertised. And the Rambam makes that all six branches of the menorah go step upwards from the middle column in a straight diagonal fashion. And all other images that you see out there are done like in a half, a rainbow Shape Like in a rainbow shape, it goes half round going up the arms. And even though when it comes to the details, as we said before, you could maybe try to say, maybe you could try to say, eh, just a detail. And he was trying to make it easier on making his image. But the Rambam has a son whose name was Rebbe Avram. We call him Rebbe Avram, the son of the Rambam. 
And he says very clearly that all six branches of the menorah all stem out from the middle stick of the menorah towards the top in a straight way like my father, my teacher of blessed memory depicted in his image. Not round like others do. So he says it clearly that this is an important integral detail, that it has to be a straight out stick. Sticks, all six of them. So you can't just say that the Rambam did that because it's just easier to sketch like that or faster. We also have another source of it being direct on this diagonal straight line because we also have this in Rashi on the Torah, this week's Parsha. Rashi writes that the six sticks at arms of the menorah were all ba'alachsin. Alachsin means a crooked line, a straight line, right, on, on an angle. Comes out that the images that others make of the menorah is not like the opinion of Rashi and also not like the Rambam who made his own picture. Now, as we already know, the Rebbe's style, and he taught us many times, to go and search in all kinds of reliable Jewish textbooks to see what else is out there. And he says, there's a book called the, called the Baal Mishnah's Hasidim. He has a book that has, he depicts and talks about all the artifacts in the temple. This, this uh, book, the Mishnah's Chassidim, he's also quoted by the Alter Rebbe in the Tanya, actually, in the Geras and in many places. But he writes in his book, simply he says, he says that the six arms of the manure were round. That's what he says. He's also a very reliable source. And he explains why he came to that conclusion that it's round. Even though he says from Rashi, it's clearly that it's not round. But he says the Rambam in his, in his book of laws doesn't mention the word alachsin, a diagonal line. He only writes that they came out from the middle stick. He doesn't write the words that they were diagonal. So he deduces from there that it appears that they did come out from there, but on some kind of small roundish arms. And he concludes that this seems to make the most sense because why? He says because having it round also is a reflection of the uh, uh, celestial spheres that go around the world that go around like with the with the firmaments that have kind of like a, a round a component to it or a semi-round component to it. So he says those celestial uh, things that turn around the world up in the skies, they are representative or a reflection of the seven branch Menaira, of the seven branches of the nearest. That's what he says. So according to that book, Safer, comes out that there is some other great, stronger Jewish authorities that writing that it is round. And he's deducing it because the Ramam doesn't write the word round. Now the Rebbe says, it is my humble opinion that since this book, the Masachish, writes all about the Mishkan, wrote clearly that the reason why he says that it was round he bases his thinking is because not something that the Rambam wrote. He said it's because the Rambam didn't write the word diagonal. Therefore, it appears to him that it looks like this and that's slightly roundish. And he said, therefore, it makes sense to him like so. Says the Rebbe, however, once later it was revealed the actual writing of the Rambam, of his picture, and as his own son testified, as I mentioned before, 
he testifies that the son writes, his Rebbe Avram, the, the son of the Rambam, writes clearly that that's the way he, even his father wrote it, made a picture straight. So therefore, the foundation of what that book right bases it on is not there anymore. And by the way, the Rebbe brings in a footnote here, a very interesting point. He says, in general, I have not merited, according to my humble opinion, to understand at all how he came to that conclusion that because the Ram didn't write clearly that it's on an angle, therefore it's a slightly round. The word says kana. Each stick is called a kana, the Shiva Kneamaner. And it's explained in many places in the Torah. And every time it says a kana, kana means like a pole or like, like, like a stick. Nowhere ever in scriptural did I ever find till now that it should be interpreted as round. So I don't even understand how he came to that. That's a side footnote. Says the Rebbe, with all due respect, that's like a respectful way how to say it, or in Hebrew it actually says, I'm asking even for forgiveness of, the, of your honorable Torah knowledge, but according to my opinion, it seems clearly, it seems very clear, that the, the Maisa Choshev and the Baal Chachmas Mishkan, these few sources that he quoted, that it seems clearly to me that if they would have seen the image that the Rambam wrote and the commentary from the Rambam's son on this, they would have also written that there's no argument at all and according to everybody, it means that the branches were straight. It's just because these things weren't available to these people. Remember, that was in the days before social media, right? So they didn't have access to seeing images across the world. So if they were living in a certain country, that was it. They only had access to what they had access to. Like he says in brackets that Dr. Rebbe writes in his own Code of Jewish Law, that many of the early books of the early, early Torah scholars have not seen the day of light to be printed, even in later generations, and therefore, we cannot really rely on a lot of those opinions. That's amazing. Because if they would have only seen somebody with, you know, with a good source, they would have, their opinions could have been very different. Says the Rebbe, what comes out from here is that it would be very appropriate, as there's an expression that says, it means like, Let's bring back the crown on top of the head. In other words, let's go back to the way it used to be in olden days. That all people that are making images of the menorah in order to teach, and all images that people, teachers are making in books or whatever, not right, to be able to teach what the menorah looked like in the tabernacle and in the temple, they should act, they should do a right. They should make images of the menorah with the straight, straight arms with that on the diagonal. Like Rashi, which is the simple interpretation of the Torah, and like the Rambam. And based on this, it seems clearly that there's no even argument to that about this. So too, says the Rebbe, that in schools that are teaching in Maistis Chinuch, that make these images on their stationery, there's many places of education that have this on their stationery, I guess schools and, 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 and offices. They put image, an image of the menorah. And they make them with round arms. But since the point of making a menorah is in order to remind whoever looks on it about that this is about the menorah reflecting to the menorah in the temple, so it would be very, very befitting that they should change their stationery and make their images that should be done in this kind of fashion where it's on a straight diagonal line. The Rebbe says in a footnote here that it would be even good, we could learn from this, that maybe even, not maybe, he says we could learn from this, that even on your Hanukkah Menorah, not just images of how it looked in the Menorah, but even your Hanukkah Menorah, which is an eight branch Menorah plus the Shamash, nine, right? It's better to do it also on a direct angled way in order to teach it properly. Even though we're changing the amount of numbers on it, because you're not supposed to make something exactly as it was in the temple, so we have, we have the four on each side instead of three on each side. But why should we change the way it was in the menorah of making it 
round instead of straight. Now the Rebbe says, I want to bring you to one more, another point. From here, we could also go to another point. The common way of the Menorah, of how the image looks, is that the six branches are done round, and you could assume that making this, and who made it, where did it start from, that people made these round arms if it was really straight, it would make a lot of sense to say that it started from non-Jews that were starting to make artistic images of the way it looks in Rome. In Rome, you could go to what's called the old city of Rome. You could even go there today. And over there you'll see that on the Titus's arch, may his name be erased, but on his arch, on the arch called the Arch of Titus, which is considered to me this arch is, to, is there as a resemblance of Rome's victory of crushing the temple and the Jews and so on. Over there, there's a depiction of the Menorah with round arms. So many artists are copying the Menorah from there. When Titus the wicked, when Titus Arasha destroyed the temple, he commanded that they should take with them also vessels from the temple and take them to Rome. And in the great honor of this wicked person, they built this victory sign of this arch that should carry his name, the gates of Titus, the arch of Titus. And on that Titus arch, they made these pictures of Jews in chains, mar- carrying vessels from the temple, including the menorah. You could see that Jews carrying it. And you could see there that it's a six-branch menorah, and he makes this, all the arms, it's depicted there round. Now, besides the fact that things that are on the Arch of Titus are completely not accurate. As he brings in the footnotes, for example, many people already pointed out, there's no legs on the Menorah. We all know that the Menorah had legs, feet on the bottom to hold up the Menorah. Clearly the Talmud says it had feet. Some say, that the menorahs that, T- that Titus took were there were from the ten menorahs that King Solomon made. Well, he says that very hard. This is in the footnote here. He says it's very hard to believe that that's what it was because the menorahs that Shlomo made, we didn't even have it in the second temple, that which is the one that they destroyed. And he says, for a number of reasons. So he says, and most likely that King Solomon, when he did make a menorah, he made it like the menorah that Moses taught us. As Rashi points out and as we learned just before. So why would you say that King Solomon made a different shape menorah? It doesn't really sit well to say that. And even more than why it doesn't sit well that these were different because it's, he brings down from many sources, including the Jerusalem Talmud, that the menorahs that Shlomo made were kosher for use in the temple. So, in that, so the point is that it doesn't make sense to say that Shlomo made a different kind of one. The point is, back to here, that the menorah that was used over there was, is not reliable at all in any of the details of it. And why did he do it? Why did they depict these vessels from the temple being carried on the Jews' shoulders? He did this because when they were in power over many Jews, Rahman al-Litzland, heaven should have mercy on us. But what they did was, is they even engraved the words, if you look up into the, you know, Jews don't go under the Arch of Titus, by the way. It doesn't mention this here, but who would want to go under there? But you could look from the side. 
And you could see there, it has there the words engraved, Yuda Kapta. Judah, Yehuda, the Jews were captured. There was even time periods that they would drag Jews by force to this arch that Jews should see it of what says there that Jews were captured. Why did they do this? Obviously, to degrade the Jew, etc., etc. Never doesn't even want to elaborate on that painful point. But comes out from all of this that the image of the branches of the menorah as, as a as a round arms, like they are on the Arch of Titus, has to actually bring out a gewald geshrei, a tremendous scream of pain. Besides the fact that it's the opposite, uh, contradictory of what Rashi says and the Rambam says, but also because it does, it's you don't want to give a stamp of approval, God forbid, May heaven protect us to give an approval to something of an image on arches, Titus, Titus's arch, which was made just to torture Yidin and pain us. That's not the, well, why would you want to do that? And besides all of this, an image of the Menorah has to remind us and awaken a Jew of what's the purpose of a Jew, which is to be a light upon the nations. To be a testimony to the entire world that the divine presence is here. So in that case, you for sure want to make the images exactly the way it was. And that don't contradict and bring an opposite thinking of anybody like the Romans that won over the Jews. May Hashem have mercy and save us. And with this he concludes that it should be the desire that very soon, speedily, we should merit to the re- true redemption, the complete redemption, where we're going to be able to have the menorah literally in its completion. As we know, he brings in the footnote that everything that Moses made is forever. So we should be able to have it with the third temple and everybody's going to be able to see the menorah and Moses and Aaron, his brother, will be with us. And we're going to see it with our eyes of flesh. May this be returned to us now to our eyes. We should be able to see this. And it should fulfill the verse that says, Speak to Aaron. Let him go up and light the menorah. May it be speedily now in our times.